Hey everyone, this is Jim Brewer, and you're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando on iHeartRadio. Go get them, Brando! And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 138. It is Brando. Thanks for joining us, whether you found us on the iHeartRadio app through AlternativeNation.net, Spreaker, Stitcher, doesn't matter how you found us. Just uh, really appreciate you hanging out with me today. And I am just so humbled uh, not only to have uh, the the great comedian uh, Jim Brewer back on the show. He was on, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. Um, It was in studio. Uh, it was part of a, a morning show tour, which I've explained though, how those work before. They're meant for morning radio, but I'm lucky since I work here at iHeart. Sometimes with this podcast, I can hop on those tours. Uh, and I only had eight minutes with the guy. I mean, and eight minutes with Jim Brewer, I, I certainly uh, was happy with that. You can get a lot uh, out of eight minutes. It may not seem a lot, but... I mean, it's good for morning radio, so <laughs> it could be good enough for me. But as we, you know, it's a podcast, especially last episode we did uh, with Rocco that went over an hour and a half and they're lengthy. Uh, Jim Brewer is the kind of guy you want to talk to for a good amount of time. And I had been in contact with his his rep since uh, that, that first conversation because Jim was, when I told him after when it was over and he was nice enough to take a selfie with me, uh, he's like, when I said, I hope we can do this again, he's like, absolutely, you know, contact so-and-so. And, uh, and it finally worked out. It finally worked out. So, uh, in studio today, uh, Jim Brewer, I actually, this time around, I, this is just how amazing of a, of a guy that he is. We talk a lot, of course, referring to a lot of, with, with Guns N' Roses about fan interaction. This guy will talk to anybody, uh, because he loves people. And he's just so seemingly accessible for someone of his of his status. So uh, after his two hour uh, morning radio tour, talking to you know fifteen stations or something like that, he agreed to sit down with me for an hour. Incredible! And some of you may have heard part of the the interview before this podcast is actually posted because I put it on our Facebook. I decided to do uh, some Facebook Live. And that was in the spirit of Jim Brewer uh, doing a lot of Facebook Live, usually regarding the New York baseball Mets. But I, I, I just figured it was a cool opportunity for me to show you what I do a little behind the scenes. I initially only wanted it to be you know, maybe a few minutes as, as a teaser, but Jim was so into it. And I, I left it up for like the video for like 50 minutes. So you heard most of it on Facebook Live. Not the best quality audio because I was holding the phone. It's not set up that way. So uh, hopefully if you did watch it online, you're going to listen this time around and just hop into when I uh, told Jim when I announced he was coming back on the show, A, how excited people were 
And a lot of comments saying, oh, the Axl Rose hater is back. What do you have to say to that, Jim? Uh, I wasn't a fan. Was not a fan of... of, of Axl DC? No, not at all. Are you a fan of Guns N' Roses? By the I way, am. What, I, I, I am. Will I go see... I, listen, I was, a, I was agitated. I'm still agitated from years ago of just the, the ego and not showing up and keep making fans wait forever. And that, that just annoyed me as, as a consumer pissed me off. Mm. If I'm, if I'm showing up and your restaurant is, uh, I, I made reservations for your restaurant at 11 AM for a great brunch and I'm bringing everyone and you make me wait to three o'clock before I eat. I'm never coming to your restaurant again. I got so, it. So, I don't understand what people are like. Whoa! How can you be mad? If I pay, and I'm, I plan on. It says here you go up at nine o'clock and you go up at midnight, or just don't show up. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming to see you again. That was rude, and you're a jackass for making me do that. Now, people grow, right? People change. Mm-hmm. So I'm all right with that. I wasn't against him. I was aggravated at the situation. So when ACDC went down or Brian Johnson was just gone, there was no, hey, listen, here's what's going on. We're going to get him to fix it. It was just like, yep, there's our new, who's singing. Really? That's how it went down? Yeah. It was like Brian Johnson. There was no official announcement to go listen. It was, eh, we thank him for our services. Thank you for your services. The man that sang Back in black, shook me all night long. ACDC was here, and then they went to a whole new stratosphere. They did. For those about to rock and and it, the famous video of uh, Thunderstruck and every every arena plays those songs, you just go, hey, you know, thanks for your services. Axel, let's go. We're going on to What? This is, this is my family breaking up. And my father just came in and said, listen, your mom's gone, but here's your mom in the meantime. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. So. Um, Did Angus and, well, I guess let's take a, a few steps back. Yeah. And of course, uh, I love how you just got into it. I wanted to talk about your, your North American dates. Uh, the, yeah, live and up. let, live and let l- laugh tour. You always wanted to say live and let die. Part I did of you. want to say that. Live and let laugh tour. And I'm glad that you're coming to, uh, well, I'm moving to Queens next month, but okay. right now you're, you're going to be at the Paramount. Is that where you're kicking I love it off? the Paramount. On Long yes. Island? Yes. On Friday the 13th, September 13th. Nice. Yeah. Um, right now I'm in Huntington, so you're 15 minutes away. Oh gosh, it's amazing. It's a great city. See, that's this is where I'm going to tie everything in. See how passionate you are, just like all... Every most music fans should be, yeah. You know, have the certain kind of passion. Yeah. But you're just a kid from Long Island, like me. Yeah. Right now, I, this may be arguably me and you talking one of the coolest moments, if not the coolest moments in my career. Well, cool. It's pretty cool for me right now. <laughs> so you've had many of those. You know, you can talk about uh, whether obviously it's Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. I was watching uh, an old episode with you and Chappelle on Home Improvement. You yeah. had a great. So when did the rock come into the mix? When I'm, did you become friends with Brian Johnson? And and you're seeing it how many of us see it that he yes. kicked out, but you know more yeah. than we do. So yeah. I guess how did you, you know, I I'm not gonna say. I'll tell you why. Yeah. I'll tell you where. Okay. I'll tell you what. It's a little bit of 
What's that baseball movie? Build it and they will come. Yeah, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. A little bit of Field of Dreams. Now, the nineties, SNL, I met that that helped being on SNL helped meeting a lot of rockers. Sure. And one of them was Lars Ulrich showed up at SNL one day. He was in a hallway in a staircase, confused and lost. <laughs> was that the night they were performing? No. Okay. No. I want to say, I don't know what band was that. Maybe Oasis was on. Okay. And he wanted to see whoever was on. And he he was in a hallway and I said, what do you... What, <laughs> what are you doing? He goes, hi, I'm Lars. I, I, I know who you are. <laughs> I go, what are you doing? So I brought him to my dressing room. I said, hang here and whatever you need, just let me know. And he said, cool. And then we exchanged and we hung out a bunch. And so that's where our relationship started. And then that, that went into Hetfield. And then I knew when I was touring, I would do, I was a hard rock, heavy metal guy. So it's priest, Judas priest and all that stuff. I knew if I were to, and I would, I was already doing bits in 80, late eighties on MT, not late eighties, early nineties before SNL and all that. I want to say bits for MTV and comedy central. And I was already talking about Metallica and ACDC, and nobody was really talking about bands like that. Nobody was doing it the way that you do. Someone just messaged me, hokey pokey. Yeah, yeah, no one was doing that. So when I did the hokey pokey, (laughs) A, it was a part of, because I love the band, I saw them probably a bunch of times by that moment in life already, and I still think they're one of the greatest all-time live bands ever. Agreed. But there was part of me, I'd be a liar if I said, there was a part of me that said, when I put this out, eventually someone's going to know ACDC and someone's going to go, bro, have you seen this video? Mm, That's smart. Have you seen this guy imitating ACDC? Someone had to. So you you had that in the back of your mind. A little bit. Even though you were doing it just for your, as part Even of your... Even though I was doing it, it was... Right on. A little bit. And sure enough, I think it was... How did that special come out? Hardcore. Sure enough, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't too much later where Brian Johnson called. <laughs> and I'll never... I was like... This is, this is, he's calling my hat. Like, what's going on? Did you on? think it was a joke, though? That's at, f- at first, I thought until I, I heard his voice and went, nobody. I've watched, I watched all the interviews in my life with Angus and Brian. And I'm like, this is, this is him. You know what he sounds like. He's like, I, uh, Jimmy, son, I am <laughs> doing the hooky pokey. I seen you doing the hooky pokey. And, uh, Oh my God. And I actually, he asked me to do an event for his wife and okay. it was a benefit for a, a nonprofit theater down where he lived. And that was the beginning of uh, getting to know. That's Brian. cool. A lot of method to the madness. And I kind of feel 
I, I do the same thing a little bit. You're smart and thinking about that. But what do you guys bond over? Because I'm not one of those guys, those radio guys that pretend just because I interview somebody when that I'm friends with them after. Because I'm sure there are a lot of people that want to be your friend or want to be Brian Johnson's friend. Is there something that, instead of just being cordial, hey. Our, it's, our dads were World War II vets. Okay. And that's where, that's, well, I shouldn't say his dad was World War II vet. He he knows great history. Okay. He loves talking history. And my dad being in World War II and that it's more life stuff like that. It's more life material that we would end up talking. It's mostly him talking <laughs> and me laughing. Right. Because <laughs> he'll get very serious and then hit you with a left field joke nonstop. <laughs> I remember him having a conversation talking about Nazi Germans and he's like, you know, and he, and he basically says like, you know, Jim, you know, the Americans get a different history than us in England and the Europeans do. I believe it. It's, it's a fact. I, I've been <laughs> on both sides. It's sure. definitely a fact. Um, our news, everything's different. Yep. We don't think it's different, mm. but it's harshly different. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying which side is right. I don't know. Oh yeah. I'm just saying the perspective, the way it's it's delivered, you know. It's like going in the neighborhood. Did you see the accident? No, but I I heard this. What'd you hear? Oh, I heard this. Game of telephone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um and he goes he goes, you know, Jim, uh the Germans they're a lot smarter and the, the world underestimates the very smart and organized people. He goes they were technically f more far advanced than the rest of the world. And he goes, and they still are. He goes, think about it. A place the size of Rhode Island just walked over Europe like they were nothing. Mm. And he goes, and they were about to invade the States because they were off with their boats off of Florida. He goes, uh, he goes, that's pretty powerful. He goes, but you know what the most amazing thing about Germans is? Why? He goes, they don't have a word for nipple. How can you be so powerful? <laughs> you can't say nipple. <laughs> and I and just was like, ah! <laughs> and he hits you with these left field jokes that are so funny, but yet he's he's had these deep, long, historic. He told me so many great history, um, but I have to admit. I messed our relationship up. Okay. I messed it up bad. What did you say? You like Bon Scott better? No, no. Okay. It was, I spent time with him and it was right after the, it was raw and it was right after the incident where his ears and he just wasn't in ACDC. Right. And as a friend, I was very angry for him. Right. And I was super, uh, I was pissed and I wanted to voice, I wanted to voice uh, something maybe people, I, I took upon myself to talk about something that, that maybe I shouldn't have. Like you were speaking for him and he just didn't want anything to say? And the next thing. Day and it was it was on a podcast. It was I was doing my podcast and 
I was the first time I went on vacation, so it wasn't a normal podcast. I went into, I went on vacation, and the guy in the podcast called me, and we record the conversation. And normally, the way it, w- way it would work is the guy recording then hands it to the producer. The pro- the producer edits it, and he edits it, and then I listen to it. And we go, let's release it then. And that's not what happened. They released it the next day. Okay. And I woke up to about a hundred phone calls, tweets, and everything. Well, what? Why is why is Brian Johnson calling me a hundred times? Why is this is how I woke up, and it was all over the news. Just Brian kicked to the curb, says comedian Jim Brewer, and. That we may have the real reasons and blah, blah, blah. And, mm-hmm. and, um, that was a terrible position to put him in. And whether it's true or not true or fabricated doesn't matter at the end of the day. And I feel like, um, a guy like Brian Johnson that's so open, so honest, so giving. Uh, I I feel like I I did him a major wrong by doing that, and I I that's my one bit out of all my life. That's my biggest regret. Huh? Did he understand that at all? Did I'm you- sure he did, and we talked. But I can tell, it's a trust factor. Mm. Now I can't, now I can't share certain things with you, and that that was a huge learning thing for me and I I really regret that to this day was it so much of what you had said or was it the, the headlines that it, came out it was the head that well you know the way headlines go is people just see the headlines right and then they read yes so the headlines were Brian kicked to the curb says Jim Brewer Brian fired John whatever whatever the headlines read it was Jim Brewer, and then it was, you know, and then it would say Jim said, "Well, after spending time," and they would, it it was just well manipulated enough that it made, it didn't make him look bad, but the conversation was like, Jim, this is, this is bar talk, and this is supposed, it's like me talking to you, and I'm like, listen, I just want to tell you, and now it's all over the world, like, dude, I'm. I'm just venting to you right now. This is not for the world to hear. This is why we're still going through things. Mm. And, um, you know, that's, I, it, it's, it's one thing to stick up for someone. It's not your job unless they, it's a call to arms. I, but I think obviously you get that. And if you were close at that point, I feel while, yeah, he can be kind of annoyed he should still understand that because that's happened to me I'm in sure. this world of of guns and roses anything that's clickbait uh it seems like i'm the enemy i've had like the the i i'm not after anything sensationalist so whatever you know brian may have told you whatever i'm not going to probe you or push you for it i'm not going to probe you regardless yeah, yeah uh but they'll read a, a clickbait where i mean this this one time this, this happened a former guns and roses uh drummer during the chinese democracy era we were talking about like unreleased stuff and he's like Oh, I have some unreleased uh, mixes, remixes that I did. And there was a, a title 
it said uh, former GNR person and that like talks about new Guns N' Roses music. Yeah. And GNR's manager calls him, say, "Why do you, you you're in no position to talk about new music?" And just like you, how you just woke up, he's like, "I just got out of a session. Like, I get all these twenty calls. I'm like, I didn't say that." I, right. And and before he could even think, and what I felt for Brian was here he has probably maybe the ACDC camp calling him, going, "Did you did you say this? Does this come from you?" Or and he's got and the fact when you put someone else in that position now he's not well, dude what are you talking about no I didn't say he, I immediately put him in an awkward That's position I, where I've he done. has to defend himself mm. and that is so wrong to do to anybody and I that is yeah. my mm. major and whether he understands or not it doesn't matter I heard a really bad relationship and I and to this day I'm like damn you big mouth you dummy it's still. Uh... Like sore? Like do you do you speak? I don't. Him? I don't bother with them. Ah, uh, because I. I just, hear that. You feel it. Mm. You feel it. And I've been down there, and I've seen his wife, and I see. But you just you feel. You feel that. That's that when someone puts you in that position, it's something that always stays there, whether you understand it or not. And I got to tell you, the best thing. That that helped me. Is the fact that he's back, and yeah. I I can sleep a lot better at night because I remember the words from him, which now I can say. Okay, I was gonna say it because I literally feared for my life. Huh. And I'm being dead honest. Okay, because there's crazy fans out there. Yep, I remember him saying to me, "Well, Jim." You, this may have screwed up any chance I would have had to get back with them. And Oof. to hear that was something, I just think about it now and my soul just dropped. Like, it's bad enough for me to live with that, but if that got out there, the fear of what might have happened. It's Jim Brewer's fault. Right? I still feel... Now he, he shouldn't the, have said that though. I feel like on, no. on his end, that is that right for him to put that kind of pressure on you? you oh no, no, because it wasn't malicious of you. No, he knows it was, and it, it, I, I know that. But when you're in the he, when you're in the moment, like you got to think of where he's from, right? I'm even though his ears were out and they they were like, "Listen, it ain't working. We got to move on." It was already done. It was nothing I could have done to prevent that. It was there was zero that I could 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 have done to prevent that. But when you hear that, if that's the way he's thinking, that's enough to be devastating. You know, that just just the fact that he thinks that, like, man, I, I could, he, he might have been on the plan of, now don't forget, this just happened. It's still raw. The wounds are still open. Yeah. And so the fact that he's in this scenario and he, in, in his mind, maybe he's going, all right, I'll go through months, I'll get my ears fixed, and I'll go back sessions, and I'll start singing, I'll work my way back, and I get back. But now because you said some crazy stuff, I may not even get that chance. That's so that weird. Is, but it's not. It's really not. I mean, Because technically, now he's back, which is amazing. Right. And I can honestly say, <laughs> <laughs> You didn't end uh, a great rock band. Yeah, no. Thank God. And who has the power? I don't have that power, and I don't want that's it to sound I, like that. That's why I but said that's it's weird. that's what I was living with. 
and I get it. If it's not weird from your feelings or his feelings, it's weird that something you would had said would have ruined their relationship where it wasn't a Sammy Hagar, a Van, uh, Eddie Van Halen kind of thing. This was a health issue, and it seemed it, it was built was... like Axel was just there to save the day. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. And when do you remember watching that interview where it was? Uh, I think it was Axel, Angus, and I think when Malcolm was still, and they were say they were like. We tried to do the right thing. You know, I, I wish I obviously had the audio. Yeah, up, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, you, you got to think of um, as a fan, as a fan, I'm watching. Uh, and and once you once you know someone, too, you, you lose the fandom. Like you have you have the fan, but now, you know, a little deeper of their world. So you're 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 emotionally connected. So if my friend came to me and said, Hey man, my ears went or, or or whatever's going on. And this is how I found out it's not going to happen. And I just, it's just weird. There's no press conference with me. It's just weird. Here's the statement I got the public statement that said, thanks for your services. I'm like, what? What you- happened? I, I'm gonna if that happened at Home Depot, me as a friend, I'm going to Home Depot. <laughs> and I'm going. Excuse me, excuse me. My work. Excuse me. My friend worked here for how many years? And he he built that section. He sold you X amount, and you just let him go. And it's how you let you don't have the nads to go to his face and tell him this. You don't have the nads to show up and go. Hey, man. I can't, I'm telling you what, you sent, this is what you send? Are you kidding me? As a fan, who are you? We all can relate to that. So that, that, that is where the emotional Jim Brewer, that's where emotional me got. I was like, dude, what? What? Yeah, no, I get it. So that's where I came and then, but again, it was a private conversation I had that was recorded and then- they must have thought we got gold here, and instead of producing it and editing it, and I had an album coming out with Brian on it. Okay, <laughs> so we were gonna save that. Yeah, for when the album comes out, and I could really sit and listen. Like, mm, let's not do this. Well, you know what? That's a little too much. Blah blah blah. So it wasn't meant for. It was Mar- April, March, April, May, June. At least four months before we were, I was gonna touch that. Not knowing now it's dropped and 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 it was out there and uh, and I'm not blaming the people that did it and didn't edit it because at the end of the day, it's uh, what happened. It's what happened. So let me ask because you just got finished and I can't. I mean, it's amazing that I get to sit down with you for you know a little while now after a, a two hour uh, morning radio tour where you're yeah. talking to station after station for seven, eight minutes, ten minutes. Now it's easier to get in trouble, maybe quote-unquote trouble when you do a long-form podcast. And yeah. I, I always tell somebody, especially if they're worried about the, how the Guns N' Roses world is going to react um, to what they say. By the way, yes, I've never told anyone that story I just told. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't know what it is about me. All right, I'll use an example. Uh, yesterday or the day before, I interviewed this guy named uh, Rocco Guardino, and he was Scott Weiland's personal assistant. Mm-hmm. And he went on tour with Velvet Revolver in the first couple of years. Uh, he was an engineer. He he directed one of the, 
the first video he ever directed uh, was for Velvet Revolver. So it was a whole thing about a, a lot of addiction story. He was mm. a kid who grew up also a New Yorker. He grew up in Poughkeepsie. So yeah. he went to rehab when he was 16 with his parents. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff that maybe you don't want to say. And there were even, of course, about Scott Weiland. We didn't get into anything specifics like he's doing this, doing that. Uh, but I told him, like, when we're done recording, because right now it's just me and you, if, if there's anything you're uncomfortable with, just tell me and I'll edit it out. Yeah. I have no problem doing that. To me, it's like making a, a movie or writing a book. I don't want any gotcha moments. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the course of just you, you and I just talking or at you and any podcast you're just talking, you know, when you used to go in OP, especially OP and Anthony and the places like that, yep. you can be caught saying something you don't want to say. Right. So do you prefer, because you are the one of the best storytellers and I kept thinking about how Brian was telling you the story yeah. about how we can go from serious to funny. Yeah. People like you are perfect at it. Jay Moore is great at it yeah. for making you feel just like you're about to cry, yeah. you know, and then just laughing your ass off. Yeah. Do you prefer a certain uh, avenue to tell these stories now? Or does that, you learn from that. So does that make you any, you're obviously you're, you're out, you're touring, you're touring, you're doing interviews. Are you more worried about what you may say or not? No, I, to me, it's, uh, where do I like telling the stories? In the moment, wherever the moment is. Sometimes the moment is this. Right. Sometimes it's on stage. Sometimes it's, I'm stopping to get coffee. And next thing you know, someone brings up a subject, boom, and we're engaged. I love life and I love people. Love people. Um, Especially the ones that are not brainwashed, that are not, um, they don't have the ego. They're open. Yeah. And I'll open myself to anyone. I'll, I'll sit here facing you, no different than I'm facing Howard Stern. And I, whatever you want to. I can tell. And that's, right. that's been, that's. That I, I think I learned that from my dad. So the platforms, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because you never know what's going to come out. So I, uh, like, you know, sometimes it's a lot better on stage and it's funnier on stage or it's deeper on stage. Sometimes it's better in a podcast. Sometimes it's really better at the end of the night with just your friends. Sometimes with a stranger, it doesn't, it's in the moment when you feel it and the, and the vibe is there and the energy is there. Then it just goes. Doesn't matter. Sometimes it's better telling the story here than I would. I can do another radio station. They go, "Hey, uh, I heard you, um, and I, I heard you talk about this Brian Johnson thing. Tell tell us about that." It's not going to sound anything like it did here. <laughs> yeah. So, so I try to be very genuine and have a. So it, uh, you yeah. know, it all depends on the people and all that jazz. So, right on. Yeah. So I guess how how. You've learned in, from experiences or you, you love life. We go back to way before uh, the beginning of the conversation about how you're still kind of burned. And a lot of people are, are burned about, you know, Axel being late. You know, I'm, my first concert was 2002. I feel better now though. After you did ACDC. Yeah. I feel better. I will go to a, I will go to a Guns N' Roses. Uh, I will go to Guns N' Roses now. Have you ever before? No, but I'm dying to, but I wouldn't. 
uh, because of that, because he already did it once to me. So I'm like, forget it. I'm not doing this again. When, when the, What was the show you tried oh, to go to? God. It, it, they're with Metallica. It was years and years and years and years ago. Oh, the, the 92 Yes. Show? So that's how annoyed, That's how long I've been annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the would, only one. Ask anybody from St. Louis. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I would... I would um, so I wanted to kind of go see them. I'm like, no, um, I'll be the show that he doesn't show up or I'll be the show he's going to be late. And it seems like he's not that person anymore. Right. He he learned either from ACDC. Um, that was part of the interview I was telling you about. He's like, uh, Angus doesn't fuck around. I got to be here on time. And that's the thing. <laughs> it's not this my is, show. This is his show. It's his show. And maybe he learned, you know, there there is a thing between artist <laughs> and business. Yeah. And you have to learn both. And sometimes the artist is like, I'm not doing that because I'm an artist. And I'll <laughs> I'll paint when I want to paint. I'll do the show when I want to show. That's fine and good unless you told everyone this is when you're doing it. So mm-hmm. I think he had a lot of maturing and growing up to do as a artist. Um, and he has. So I I don't have anything against the guy, but I'm I would like to go see them because I think they're one of the greatest bands that ever existed. You said before how you would do impressions, and and hopefully that would put out in the universe. Like that's how you met Brian Johnson. Yeah, do you do you do an Axel one? Do you want to put that out in the universe? Is I think <laughs> I think he's well aware of, <laughs> of who I've you said. are. Yeah, and and things I've said. And I don't mean yeah. that in a pompous way, but uh, I mean you're you're famous enough anyway. I'm sure. And that's another thing with the Brian Johnson. I had no clue. I'm like, who's gonna be listening to what Jim Brew is talking about? <laughs> I really had that mentality and i was and someone said to jim brewer what i'm like exactly because if brewer i'm not i'm not the head of rolling stone i'm not the head like why would you take that and run the ball with it that was unique because uh you mix it really well and i love how don jameson does it now too you mix the the comedy and, and and the rock and roll and it was interesting to see a comedian being quoted talking about a rock band that doesn't happen. No, you know what did Corey Taylor say? That's the thing. You know, all talking about other rock bands. Right. So I think it goes to show you how much credibility you've been given I guess in, so. in the rock world. I guess so. You know, especially now being on touring with uh, Metallica. Rock world is my. It's definitely my calling, and I, I don't mean it by saying I need to be a singer or in a band, but that world. I'm I'm so comfortable in that world. I'm just extremely comfortable in the rock world, rock fans, everything about it. I the Metallica gig was the greatest gig I ever had in my whole entire career. It really was. It brought the best out of me. It 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 empowered me. It made me a better person. I loved it. I had so much passion. I enjoyed life every day part of that. And you can't you can't say that about a lot of things. I mean, that was six months. And my family life, everything was just top-notch throughout that whole thing. It was amazing. Could you see... Not just you doing more of that, but other comedians doing, because you know back in the early day, probably when you were coming up, that's when Lollapalooza came and just infusing different genres of music. But to have comedians 
big comedians open up for for big bands to get creative because now that's where the money is made going out on tour do you foresee i'm just trying to think of an uh you know anziz anzari opening up for you know the lumineers or something or something well well the the what i did was a little different um i wasn't i was i wasn't really opening i was more hosting and okay. creating a show okay so i had a dj I didn't see this tour. Do an all request. What I did, what I did was this. First of all, Metallica was in the round. And that's a difficult place for a comedian right off the bat. Because the crowd is not in front of you. They're all around you. They're constantly in a circle. So you're never, there's always a lot of people to your back. And that's not good for comedy. So they wanted me to create something for the people coming in. So the first half hour I had videos and pictures of Metallica from the past that you may have not have seen from fans and everything playing on a big screen. Now you people walking in, are you going to know I put that together? No, but that's okay. Then at seven o'clock, my DJ would go up and he would take your request. What do you guys want to hear? And then if it was kind of cool, I would tell a story leading up to the song. That's cool. And you know, Master of ceremonies. Yeah, that's exactly what I was. Yeah. I was the MC. Then I would go up at 7.30, talk about the night, tell a story, feel the crowd out. Sometimes they were a stand-up comedy crowd, and I would give them stand-up comedy for a half hour. Some of them were like, ah, we don't want to stand up. We just want to, okay, okay. Hmm. Let me tell you when I first met the band. I saw them in 86. Oh, whoa. Now I, got, <laughs> now I got all these people's attention. And I told them he's at concert and going to see Ozzy. Now I talk about Ozzy. Now they're, oh, dude, we like you now. All right, you're one of us. That's cool. Um, and then I would stay up to about 8, 8, 10. Then I take a camera and I go live backstage to look for the band. So most time I found Lars. Once in a while I find James, and you can watch it out in the arena. Then I would take fans, bring them on stage. We do game shows, and if you win, I'm gonna personally bring you backstage and you watch when Metallica is ready to walk out on the stage and they do the huddle. I'm gonna bring you part of that. That's a constant experience like no other. And that's that's what it was. And then I had a sing along. <laughs> And the sing-along was all metal anthems right before they came out. So before Metallica came out, I would stand next to their room where they were rehearsing, their tuning room. They would tune up and do songs and rehearse 40 minutes before every concert. And I would stand outside that room until they were done. And when, when the last guy walked out, I knew to go running out in the arena. And I said, they're ready. They're behind that curtain. I want to make sure you're ready, and we're going to do a sing-along that I put together. And I would put, I would do um, War Pigs to, and it was all one minute, all the way until the to the chorus came. Okay. It was War Pigs, you got another thing coming, Run to the Hills, Walk by Pantera, and, and uh, Highway to Hell. Okay. And they went berserk. It was... My favorite part of the night to see people, I mean, standing, singing, and like, you guys are ready. And then Metallica would come out. It was the great. Now, how'd you come up with all this? This is, it's again, it's not just. I'm not going to lie to you. In my head, I've had a heavy metal rock show 
for probably 15, 20 years that I've been dying to put together, but no one would, no one would ever help. At one point, true story, uh, VH1, um, that metal show yeah. was offered to me and Eddie Trunk. We sat in a room and wow. they wanted me and Eddie Trunk. And I had a lot of these sketches and visions for really cool rock metal things. Yeah. Um, I won't say what went down doesn't need to. Um, so it didn't, it didn't come to fruition. Didn't come to fruition for whatever reasons. Hmm. And so, I mean, even, we need to have more top 10 lists because that's never been done. Even from there, <laughs> I said, well, then I'll create my own then. And in my head, I've always had these and I still have them. I still want to somehow tour and create these shows, but I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to. So when this was the opportunity, it just, it came so natural. I'm like, oh my God, I can use all these things. And I have a lot more. If I get to do it again, and I was talking to guys mentality, I said, if it ever happens again, even if you use me or not, I got ideas that I'm dying to do that I think will work with a touring metal band or a festival. Big did, time. Did they, um, like, who recruited, like, did you, since you were friendly with Lars, did you say, hey. And James. And James, did you first go to them and say, hey, if this opportunity ever no. arises? Or they came to you? They came to me. So... Since you did something different, you weren't just opening. Did you say, I have all these ideas, and you're like, you know what? Cool, let's run with it. Or Lars went like this. Lars is more the uh, the spokesperson, the guy. I personally met with Lars. James first reached out to me, said, this, we're thinking about bringing you on tour. Don't get excited. Not sure <laughs> Not sure what it is yet. Okay, I'm already excited. We want to have a, we want to have a party. Party? What do you What do you mean? Uh, we're not. We don't know. Shooting T-shirts out of a cannon. <laughs> okay. So all these ideas were coming, and having a DJ. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, and I was stressed out because I felt, well, shoot, I got to be funny for how long? I got to be funny for an hour, <laughs> hour and a half. So I started making videos, and I still have them on my phone of like elderly people talking lyrics to Metallica songs and you have to guess the song. And I, I was coming up with these bits and it was stressing me out because it's, it may look corny because I had to put myself as a Metallica fan. Like, do I want to sit and watch this nonsense? Mm. And Lars Ulrich, I flew out to San Fran. I knew he was home that week and I went, Hey man, he goes, I said, can I come by? He goes, oh, what are you doing? You taking meetings? I'm like, yeah, I got all these meetings. I didn't have any meetings. I just wanted to meet with him. And I went there and went, can I, what, what, how do you see this? How do you, how do you see this show happening? And that was, that was the game changer. Lars said to me, he said, look, man, every band we have, no one comes to see them. Because it's such a downer for the band, and it's a downer for us mm. because we want to expose these bands because it just sucks when no one's in there. Yeah, it does. He goes, and it's a bummer for them. They get bummed. He goes, so what we want you to, he goes like this, listen, 
Tell them why you're connected to the band. When did you meet? Tell stories. Um, bring a DJ. Do you? He, this is what he said. It was such a high compliment. He goes, we've known you for years. He goes, you know how to read a room. You come in, you read a room. Because you are the guy for this job. You come in, you read that room, and you decide what's going to go down that night. He goes, um, you know our fans, you know the band, total 100% creative control up to you. And he goes, and here's the most important thing. You don't have to be funny. Just give them a fan experience. Okay. And I went, thank you. That's what you do. And that's what I, and once I got off, like, you know, people say you're opening. I'm like, I'm not opening. I'm emceeing this cool event. Okay. Okay. I'm emceeing the opening party, the the opening. And once people started wrapping that around their head, because you say opening, you're thinking I'm going off for 40 minutes, a half hour stand-up comedy. You're right. Now, I have full-blown confidence. I could do this for an ACDC, a Judas Priest, um, Iron Maiden. And I could probably do stand-up in front of all of them. I don't know, but stand-up comedy-wise, if it was me touring as a stand-up comedian, uh, I would. I I don't know if that's always the best fit for a hard rock heavy metal band for more than twenty minutes. I think the way you're doing it and describing it, because I was, you know, I'll admit I was. I thought you were opening. That's the way all the that's what headlines. Put, well, that's yeah. The yeah. headlines seem, but to, e even though Metallica put out Jim Brewer's hosting hosting even their their words were hosting the lighten up party and 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 but people just say you're to you're opening they just go into opening which is natural so i had to deprogram everyone and my job was to bring that arena together immediately and which no I, one's done what you you're, you created something different it's solely different and they were hopped up and technically metallica created that okay that's how i see it they knew and this is exactly what they were hoping for. And the fact that they took that chance is pretty darn awesome. It's not bringing a comedian with you to tour. It's you're creating something different. That's what's cool. That band does it, whether you like it or Always. not. Whether, whether it's you like them or not. Some kind of monster, whether it's Lulu. They Always. Are, so that's something I wanted to ask you, uh, being such a big Metallica fan. Uh, they are always doing, Metallica's always doing something different. For They've always been together. You know, mm -hmm. I know Cliff past and, and Jason left, but they've always moved forward. With GNR, the theme of, you know, my Guns N' Roses bar mitzvah party of a theme that I have going on this podcast, they're not really seemingly taking, I don't know if they're taking chances or would you have preferred, uh, I guess, Metallica staying along the, the same path, maybe like a maiden always doing the same thing? No. Or? No way. You like the doing the different. I love that they grow with the times with their times because you know you and hear give, all the time it, it's not as good as kill them all oh, not as good as master of puppets listen and you hear from guns and roses fans chinese democracy is not it, so it's here's the deal it's a growth if you can't grow as a human isn't that what humanity is about yeah. are we going to be stuck lit being 15 years old i don't want to be well maybe i want to be 15. <laughs> but your experiences are changed your responsibilities change 
your financial, everything changes in life. And if you can't, like me as a stand-up comedian, if I'm still doing, hey, you know, you see Half-Baked, hey, Santa Life, <laughs> if I'm doing that, yeah. oh my God, throw me in the seat. <laughs> because if that's all I have to offer, yeah, I don't have much to offer anymore. So if anything, I incur- I love that Metallica has always evolved and moved on. And whether you think there's music better than that, I can tell you throughout the years, they've always healed me. They always made me think deeper. They've always brought the energy for me and the passion from the beginning of time all the way up to the new album. There are a lot of people that said, and I love some kind of monster. I put it up uh, on my uh, social media. I love it too. That do you wish that Guns N' Roses did the same thing? Because that band has so much mystery about it. Metallica seems like such a tangible band. You know, even though they're one of the biggest bands, not just metal bands of all time, it bothers me as you know a GNR fan that there's no seemingly connection to the fan base. We never know what's going on. Metallica always seems to let you know what's going on. Do you? prefer what like what do you prefer do you- i like that i know well i don't really care but metallica, that's an answer that's an answer i don't really care metallic is open i think that's part of what i enjoy lars is extremely open and you know they take a band like acdc they're not open no but i'm still gonna love them to death and play them and go see them so i guess it depends on the fan really at the end of the day uh since you've had this idea for a long time and you kind of got to live it out a little bit with Metallica, yeah. what is your, I guess, ultimate goal? Because now you're going out on this tour. Yeah. And what's different about this tour other than just being like lengthy and, and, and just massive? Why not create, uh, or is that down the road perhaps, to do a rock and roll, you know, to put something like that together, to put your your Chris Angel Vegas kind of show together uh, obviously, everyone loves your your stand up. Um, I mean, well, you're what, really... what, what you just nailed was in the past. You know, I made the record, and I thought this might be the beginning of putting it all together. And then I realized it really confused people. So yeah, I I go, I toured the band to be fifty tickets sold, which is fine. But when I'm used to selling twelve hundred, two thousand couple hundred night I can't feed the kids yeah. and feed my lifestyle while I'm paying five people and five hotels and five airline tickets sure. Sure. and I'm making $80 for the night. Um, so what I'm saying is when I just played, well, I just played Europe and I played download festival and a lot of people came to my set and I specifically made it hard rock, heavy metal, and they went berserk. And my it seemed my whole European tour was there's a thrive and there's definitely a hunger for the Jim Brewer hard rock, heavy metal material. And that made me go, I think I can create something for these festivals. And maybe that is where this okay. idea that I've had forever goes in my head. Okay. Because once the festivals have it, then I can go, hey, because it is a specific audience. That makes sense. Because sometimes I'll do my stand-up set and I want to do a lot of the hard rock metal stuff. And it's more of a 
they're like, oh, they're really, this is not a hard, I'm like, yeah, I just tore Metallica and you don't get your half the audience going, yeah. <laughs> I go, all right, these are my people. Yeah. I can go far and wide tonight on a lot of different subjects where the, these okay. three or four, and I'm, yeah, and I go, okay, now if I go far, I've had, I've had, dude, he talked about Metallica too much. Okay. That wasn't a rock crowd. So I may lose a lot of my stand up crowd. Is, I'm going to stick to there. So there, I have to be specific. I have to put something together. But I feel like instead of shooting for TV or a web thing. Maybe a Netflix special? Would you ever try that? Absolutely. Okay. But I feel like I have to do it live first. Okay. Where it's an event. No, it's that, a fun event. No, that makes sense. In a tent <laughs> at a festival I while like certain bands aren't playing. Because you're so your fan base is is everywhere. You're it's not all over the place. You're not a specific it's a spitball, right? So you half maked, heavy metal, sign it live, stand up comedy, Mets fans, baseball fans. Wow, this guy's all over the place. Families all over the place. Yeah, so that, which that, is awesome. That helps. Obviously, that's why you're so successful and you're able to do whatever you put out. It's There's, so cool. You always have. It may not even be your entire fan base, but you have such a bit, like a large portion that loves, you know, the rock part of it. There's other ones like you just mentioned. Oh, I want to hear him talk about his, you know, his parents or, you know, talk about the Mets. And by the way, I guess congrats because they're doing pretty well. Right now. Right now. <laughs> I'm excited. I don't want to get too crazy. Do you, um, because you said rock and roll is your crowd and I'm not going to keep you here too much longer. And, yeah. And I'm going to, uh. Well, rock and roll is where I feel most comfortable. Well, did you, when you were growing up, did you want to be a stand-up? Did you want to be... I want to be, I wanted to be a stand-up and front man for a heavy metal band. Not slash like outfielder by, for the Mets? I wanted to be front man for a metal band. I wanted to tour as a comedian opening up for my own huge metal band. Okay. That was my, that was my gig and my dream. And... The, the band thing was so much harder for me to put together. So much harder. Those are the, like, I, I often, when I ever talk about my, you know, career in radio, it took me seven, seven and a half years to get full time because I went the on-air route, which is so difficult. I look at my friends who are stand-up who, or, um, yeah, or stand-up or, or musicians. And that's, I feel like that's even harder because there aren't like, a, there's not a set job for that. So hard, and you're dealing with multiple personalities, and multiple personalities that need to grow together, and so that's why it's so hard for bands to stick together. There's just too many elements that are that are hardwired, no pun intended, for destruction. <laughs> what do you know? I guess um, since, and I, and I hope I'm putting it out to the universe that you and Brian, you know, are will find each other and run towards, you know, through a field and embrace each other. What do I help her, Brian? No, what do you know about what's going on, I guess, with Zero. ACDC? Okay. Zero. Other than just what's been reported? Uh, whatever you know is exactly what I know. Okay. Because yeah. I was one of the, I know we talked about this briefly last time, you know, I saw Axel DC at the Garden, yep. and I was just, whoa. Axel sounded better with ACDC than he did with Guns N' Roses. That's which, awesome. What's the best concert you've ever been to? Can you even say? Would it be, would it just be the, Meta as a fan, not one that maybe you went to like a Metallica one where you were MC, I have, but as a fan. I have best one? Most memorable. What's there's, a, there's. It could be a bad one. There's a couple. Okay. Um, Metallica, 
when they played downtown when the album first came out. Where the hell did they play? Something Hall. Webster Hall. Okay. One of the greatest sets and bone-crushing, bone-crushing metal from the moment. No pyro, no nothing. Just them, Marshall Stacks, and they just beat the living snot from the minute they came out. To I, I, I've seen them thousand times i've seen every every tour they ever did that was one of the greatest metallica shows ever seen um acdc pretty much every tour i've seen them heat seeker who made who uh any any tour they've ever done i always see them but they always are an unbelievable concert unbelievable now, off the metal world, oh, and and one of the best shows ever was Motorhead about a year and a half before Lemmy passed away. I was on the motorboat cruise. Okay. And they played in a little theater on the boat, which is Marshall Stacks, and I felt like I was in London when they first came out. And I was seeing this for the first time ever, and so was everyone else. It was, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. Just the way they sounded, the energy, they're just like, that's Motorhead. I think this is why you're still so successful. I was thinking about this on the way in. You know, obviously SNL has a lot of cast members throughout the years, and some become, you know, the Eddie Murphys or, you know, movie stars. Will. Yeah. But, but there's a lot who fall off and you don't really hear of again, you have created such a unique path and your career has grown to become real. I mean, you've been doing stand-up for many, many years, yeah. but one of the most respected comedians out there that you're, you're hitting that, that, that pantheon. And I think why that is, is that you're not limited to a role half-baked. You're not limited to just doing sketches. You are so organic as a person and it makes me feel good for someone like you that, <laughs> You know, obviously, just being Long Island boys, sure. uh, to say that it's, one of my people can make it, uh, that you can live your your dream to have that experience with Motorhead, to have this experience with Metallica, because in, in just a, a smaller way, that's what I'm experiencing right now with you. Uh, um, it's just been watching you since I was a kid, having this this time with you uh, has just been absolutely amazing. So I can't imagine what it's was like touring with. Metallica. Unreal. It's not it, just you. You went up. You were just a comedian, and you had your own path. It, it all always intertwined. I'm sure little Jim Brewer had the Metallica shirts. Oh yeah. So it's it's un it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I I remember hearing the song Joe Walsh. Life's been good to me so sure. far. And I was on Jefferson Avenue Valley Stream playing stickball. And we had a little boombox, and that was one of the songs I would hit play and record and record it on my cassette tape. I said, man, I want to live like that. Now, his is a little more rock star fabricating a voice, but if I had to sum up my life, that's the perfect words. Life's been good to me so far. And I truly think it's from my Long Island roots, my blue collar, family, do the right thing as best as you can your whole life. That's more important than anything. And when you have that attitude and you live by that, 
it makes the rest of life a lot easier. And it's not always easy, but no. you need to stay grounded. You need those best friends. You need those family members. You need those people every once in a while. You go, hey, man, you, you bugging out a little. You all right? What, what, what are you wearing? What, what's going on here? Who are you hanging out with? Why, why are you hanging out with them? Well, because take it easy. Just enjoy it. Yeah, you're right. And to be able to be a fan and to be in it, I... I still pinch myself every day. It's unbelievable. Your kid, and we'll, we'll wrap up. Your, your kids know who you, you like. You are to people. Not really. You know, it blows them away when just people know me. Right. I mean, we ran into. Um, I see Pete Davidson on SNL. Oh and, yeah, and, and like you, Dad. He just he just came off to you. <laughs> like he's like, do you know who that is? I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. I know Pete. Pete, you call him Pete? Like, yeah, he's a great kid. He's a kid. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, he's a kid. Um, Matt Damon. They saw Matt Damon come on. Hey, Jim, how you doing? The last time I saw you, I'm like, yeah. Let's and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's, what's going on here? I think it was t uh, this year where my oldest daughter came up to me and she went, whoa. You worked with Will Farrell? <laughs> <laughs> I went, yeah, a lot. I went, what? How do I not know this? And Funny. it's part of it's just part of it. You know, I show up at gigs with my little Honda uh insight. Yeah. And people are like, where's the entourage? I don't need an entourage. I I'll treat the doorman, I'll treat the roadie, I treat the guy doing the light, I treat the Everyone's the same. We just have different jobs. Maybe some of us made it. Some of us didn't make it. More public. Your job may be more public. You may be more public. You may be the funniest person in the world. You're just not a comedian. So to me, I'm open to all those experiences, and I don't want to ever forget. This can all end at any moment. I just enjoy every day because it's over today. It's over. This experience is over. Tomorrow is a whole new moment. Well, I'm always going to remember this experience. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, just the eight minutes I had with you last time was just uh, amazing. And well, thank the, you. the fact that, you know, you agreed to, to speak with me more at length this time around. Piece of cake. It's just been, you know, I mean, you just spent uh, two hours before this talking to all the, the local radio DJs all across the, the world. And like, yeah, Jim Brewer, let's clap for uh, Sometimes I cringe at some of these uh, morning, morning <laughs> you gotta guys. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know. Um, so obviously your, your live and let laugh tour, live and let laugh tour North America. Are you, and it's kicking off. It's always sold out where I am in at the Paramount. Whenever you want to go, it's an open door. Thank you. You're, you are like the, the, the Billy Joel of comedians with your residency and how beloved you are in New York. Maybe one hundredth of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we have a lot of listeners uh, around the globe. Do you plan on ever doing anything internationally? I just did okay. for the first time ever, okay. and um, the more they welcome me, yeah, I'd okay. love to. That's cool. my goal and dream. I'd love to tour Australia, England, Scotland, and wherever else would have me. Cool. There you go. Well, hey, man, it's a pleasure. Believe me, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks, Jim. Truly one of the best moments of my career, to be honest with you, to to sit down with, with Jim Brewer, such a respected comedian, a beloved comedian, for an hour, for him to give me an hour of his time, means it means so much to me. I, I, you know, I said it to him, but I wouldn't be in a position to interview for him for an hour or at all. Uh, you know, first time around again it was it was eight minutes, 
um, if it wasn't for you listening to the Appetite for Distortion show. So just just thank all of you. Um, please spread the word so we I can continue, we can continue this podcast and getting great guests, great moments. Uh, follow on Facebook, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. And however you listen, whatever, however you listen to your podcast, just, you know, A, I, thank you for listening, but make sure you hit that subscribe button because there are, Jim Brewer is a rare breed, you know, for someone of his status to give me the amount of time that he gave me. Because there are others, uh, other celebs with rock stars, whatever, that I don't know, they see the the amount of likes that I have, you know, when it's certainly nowhere compared to someone like Joe Rogan or something. So point being, they look at the numbers of subscribers and likes and they look at, and I think nobody beats us as far as uh, interaction. So with the comments and everything and the retweets and the shares, you guys are amazing. Uh, but getting the numbers up of followers on Twitter and Facebook and subscriptions are only going to help us. It's only going to help us going forward. So uh, thank you. And that does it for episode 138 of Appetite for Distortion. When will be the next episode? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, uh, you, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. No! No! Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.